Hey everybody and welcome back to Kylie Says. I recently posted on my Instagram that my husband and I have been together for 15 years. If you don't follow me, I'm at Kylie Mojadidi. And we've been married for five, but we've been together for 15. So we started dating when I was 19 years old. So you can do the math on there. But I thought that I would do a post on tips to get to 15 years together because I did a poll on my Instagram recently and 100% of people that responded indicated that they were interested in learning more or hearing from me on topics like marriage and relationships. So I figured given the fact that we just reached this super wild milestone, there's really no better time than now to hone in on what makes a healthy relationship and just some tips to kind of keep your relationship alive. One couple that I follow that I think does a really, really good job of incorporating both the his and her perspective are Lauren and Michael Bostick. And they have a podcast that's literally called the his and her podcast. And it incorporates them interviewing all of these people from all different walks of life. And I love it because I kind of feel like that they're the way that they actually go about their interviews is similar to how I feel like I would go about the interview if Safi and I, my husband, were interviewing someone who we found super interesting. And the the reason why I think that is Lauren is kind of like the, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. I'm into I'm into it. Let's try it. And Michael's like, show me the facts. Let me see this for myself. Let me believe it. And I, I think that that's how my husband would react to things. So that's just a little plug. If you haven't listened to their podcast, um, I'll post a link to it in the show notes because I think it's a super, super interesting listen. They consistently have people on their podcast that I'm dying to listen to. So check it out if you haven't. Um, anyway, let's get into it. So I jotted down 15 tips to take you through 15 years. And I might go off the cuff here a little bit because I did for the first time actually jot down these notes to kind of help give me a sense of where I wanted to start here because there are so many things that I could talk about. Number one, find your own passions or a hobby. I think when you first start dating someone, or at least for me, one of the things that I think is really impressive and something that you love about the other person is if they have something to do or something that takes their time other than you. Obviously, when you first start dating, you want all of their time on you and you don't want to have to fight for their attention. But I think it's one of the sexiest things in the world where there's something that they love to do that they are still doing or finding a way to do. And mind you, for my husband, his first and last love will probably be basketball and his kids. But I, in the beginning, thought that that was so fun because it was something he was so good at and I loved seeing him thrive in those environments. When he was playing basketball or when he was on the court, that was something that just truly made me so proud to be his girlfriend and proud of him as a whole because you see a person in a new way when you watch them doing something that they're so passionate about. And obviously you're hoping that some of that passion can transfer to your relationship, which traditionally it does. So. I think that's the first thing. If you end up in a relationship where their only hobby is you, that can become problematic because it can feel stifling. It can eventually suffocate you where you are incapable of providing that same level of attention or support to someone that you maybe once did. Once you actually figure out that you have other hobbies and passions that keep you motivated and keep you wanting 
to move forward and do things that make you happy. So as you're with someone, obviously life comes and as you have kids, things get really busy and then you want to try to incorporate, you know, time for yourself and for your marriage. But I do think it's important that if your partner has a hobby, allow that hobby to continue to grow. And mind you, all of my girlfriends that are listening to this are probably laughing because I definitely carry some resentment about my husband still doing basketball things, but that's, and to me, there are conditions around it, which I won't even go into, but I still love the fact that he feels so strongly and is so passionate about something that he is making time for it outside of work to better himself. I do a lot of things at our house that I think are bettering myself. I try to incorporate yoga. Working out is something I try to do all the time. Um, Reading is something I do pretty much every single night before bed. And those, I don't know if those are necessarily passions or hobbies in the same way that a sport is, but if it's something that you're passionate about, which for me, I'm super passionate about continuing to read and learn, I'm curious. That's something that I think it's important if they make time for. If he's in the room when I'm trying to read and he's consistently talking to me or turning on the TV, I will politely ask him to leave the fucking room so that I can read in peace and quiet because I want to set up an atmosphere for myself before I go to bed. So I actually have the Hatch adult sleep machine. I have the Hatch children's sleep machines for both of my kids. And I have a timer that is part of my nighttime routine. And every 15 minutes a night, I have some wave sounds with this like yellow orange light that's more of just ambiance for me that allows me to still see my books or my Kindle app on my phone, depending on what form of, you know, what what I'm reading. So if the lights are off, I can actually see it. And then once the light turns to purple and it's those ocean wave sounds, then I know, okay, my 15 minutes is officially up and it's time for me to go to bed. But I try to leave in a little bit of that window for myself so that I, I can wind down in a way that I know is beneficial to me and helps me and makes me feel at peace. Number two, I think this is probably the most important one. Do not rely on your partner to make you happy. Of course, you want your partner to make you happy. You should not be with someone if they do not make you happy, if they do not make you feel like you're, if they don't make you feel like you're on your way to becoming the best version of yourself, then that's something that you definitely need to look at. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that you should not put all of your eggs in your partner's basket when it comes to your happiness. You are the only person who is ultimately responsible for your energy and your mood and how you perceive situations, people, and things. It is too much pressure and it is in, it is a task that holds way too much weight to put on someone else. Your happiness should not be based on what someone else is able to do for you. Your happiness should be based on how you are able to fill your own cup and you should share some of those things. And that's kind of where your hobbies and your passions come into play because you can share in what makes you happy. Your partner can then enjoy or learn and you know, identify with some of those things. And then hopefully you can grow together. I think that that's, we get so comfortable with the idea of everyone else is responsible for our happiness or responsible for something for us. Just like, he got me in such a bad mood. He didn't get me in a bad mood. I reacted to something he did and got myself in a damn mood. And that's very hard to acknowledge in the moment, but no one else can make you actually feel anything. And one thing that I think is super important is emotion. I've talked about this in a past episode. Emotion is literally energy in motion. So an emotion is just, 
your energy culminating in a way that's literally moving through your body. It can feel like the hardest thing in the world when you're super frustrated or incredibly happy and then that feeling goes away. But ultimately, I think it's important to not rely on your partner in order to assume that you know, your only way to be happy is if they are the ones that make you happy because I just don't think that that's healthy. Third, get comfortable with being bored. Now, I'm not saying that a good relationship is supposed to be boring, but I am saying that when you get into a good relationship, some of the things that made the initial part of the relationship exciting are likely going to slowly fall away. And what I mean by that is, When you first start dating, you're likely consistently around your friends. Or for us, we were always around our friends. We were always going out. We were staying up late. We were drinking. We were going to parties. We were going to clubs. We were doing all of these things that you're with your partner, but you're not really in that mindset where you're completely 100% focused on your partner or you're inquiring about them. You're learning about what makes them tick. You're just kind of in the chaos of what what goes into being... Uh, you know, being in a night out. And some of that is the most exciting times. Like I have such good memories, some of some that I remember, some that I don't, of going out with our friends, getting bottle service, going to a random Mexican restaurant in the city afterwards, going out in San Francisco, going out in San Jose, going to our houses, partying with our roommates, having themed parties, like all of the things. And that part of a relationship is so fun. And you get to meet the other people's friends and they become your friends and you have inside jokes and you can mess around with them. They meet your friends, yada, yada. And honestly, those are such fun moments in time and really lay the foundation for kind of how you'll continue your friendships with both their friends and yours as you grow in your relationship. But a lot of that will go away once you are married. And once you have your own house and once you start building a family and once your jobs become more serious and you level up in your career, you won't, at least this is my experience, you won't always have time or energy to do all of those things that you used to do. And that doesn't mean that your relationship is bad. And what I mean by embrace the boring, get comfortable with being bored is that you need to still like your partner when all of those things have gone away. You need to still be able to connect with your partner when you're not blackout drunk in bottle service, getting attention from other people and your partner is just sitting there doing whatever the hell they're doing. You need to be able to connect with your partner when you're fucking sick and you have been throwing up or you haven't been able to put on makeup in three days because you just haven't felt like it or you have the energy. You need to be able to connect with your partner when you're experiencing a serious low in life or when you're depressed or when you first come home from the hospital after having a baby. All of those moments are done with a sense or all of those moments are surrounded by the sense of vulnerability that simply just did not exist in those earlier moments of a relationship when you're surrounded by friends or these quote unquote buffers, if you will around your relationship. So I think that that's a really, really important thing to remember. A good relationship is one that can thrive in the boring. It's one that can thrive in sitting on the sofa, looking at each other and smiling and just being so happy in your life and knowing we did it. We made a home. We built this home. We made these amazing kids. 
we're so happy, we're exhausted, but we're thriving. That to me is so much more valuable than feeling like the energy that you get when you go out to a club, etc. Like, of course, there are times when I still miss going out and I kind of miss my like pre-parent phase of life because she was legit. But I also think that there's this value that comes with getting comfortable in this new way of life. And boring is probably the wrong way to put it. I guess I would say get comfortable with the comfortable, if that makes sense. Um, number four, showing an interest in your partner's hobbies. So this is similar to number one, that's finding your own passions or hobbies. And I talk about my husband's hobbies at number one, because to me, basketball feels more, like more of a hobby than this, like meditating or reading, because those are just things to me that I just do. They're not so much a hobby. Like for me, a hobby, I guess, is like going to yoga. My husband is not going to do that with me and I'm not expecting that, but he will show an interest in if he sees something where he's like, hey, there's this free yoga thing. You should totally go do that. Like when we went on a family vacation relatively recently to Monterey, we stayed at this super nice resort with the kids and there was yoga Saturday morning. And I told him, I really want to do this. And he said, absolutely, you should go for it. Like I'll watch the kids. I'll get breakfast in the room. You go and do yoga and come back and then we'll go do, you know, we'll, and then we'll figure out what we want to do for the rest of the day. And that actually meant a lot for me because it's hard not to feel guilty when you're out somewhere or when you're somewhere else that's not your regular, you know, environment and say, okay, you watch them and I'm going to go do something for me. But it felt so good to go do something for myself for 50 minutes. And he showed an interest in the fact that I really enjoy doing yoga. I thrive with it more in like a class environment than I do at home. It's just a lot harder to focus at home. Sometimes it's hard to get my mind in the right state that I, I like it to be when I'm doing yoga because I want it to be a place where I can really reflect. So I sometimes sign up for classes for yoga outside of the house so that I can create that environment for myself. And that to me is more of a hobby. That's an interest that I really, really enjoy doing for my mental health. If he sees something that's like yoga specific or a book that he thinks I might read, he'll tell me about it or buy it for me or say, hey, this new place opened up. I thought that you would be interested in it. That's something that's a super, super small thing, but it does mean a lot. It does mean a lot to me. And I think that this is important both in your relationships with your partner, but also with your friends. If you really know that your friends are interested in something that to you is kind of random or whatever, but if it makes you think of them, I think that those are always things that you should just, you know, text them about, send them an email about, send them an Instagram story about. If you see something that makes you think of someone else or it speaks to them, always send it. I love when I see messages in my Instagram from my friends that are like, this made me think of you or I thought you would find this hilarious or just watch this, LOL. Knowing, like, you know I'm going to, going to like this and that little identification or to show like, this is something that I think you are going to be interested in goes a long way. Number five, identify things that your partner is good at. So I, these feel relatively similar, but I don't mean this from a hobby perspective. I mean this from a personality perspective and just like an innate thing that they do. For instance, if you know that your partner is really not good at public speaking, don't necessarily sign them up for a speech at you know, someone's huge event or corporate event or tell them like, yeah, you should sign up to speak there. But 
if you know that they can be incredibly thoughtful and in the right environment where they're comfortable, they can shine and bring humor and, you know, clarity to a situation, then encourage those sorts of things. So I think this is, you are the mirror to your partner. So being able to identify something that you know that they are good at and encouraging them to pursue it or at least try goes a long way because if you're with someone who doesn't necessarily talk about flaws or talk about things that they don't think they're good at, then it might be a little bit easier to be able to say, you know, you don't do this much, but I actually feel like you'd be really good at this. Like maybe you should look into doing this. Then that might open up a spot for them to say, oh gosh, like I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I just don't think I'm good at that you can kind of be that mirror back to them to say, actually, like, that's so funny you say that because I've been thinking about this for you. And I really feel like you, if you just give it a try, you'd actually be great at this. So I think, you know, keeping an eye out for opportunities in areas where you think you can help your partner shine is really important because there's so much going on during the day, during the week, during the months, especially when you have kids that like being able to give those little compliments or find something that will help them feel good about themselves is really important and vice versa. That's something that if, you know, identifying what your love languages is, I kind of hate love languages, but I like them at the same time because it, it gives like a label to something, which I love. I like being able to say, oh, this is a cause for this, or this effect is because of this cause. So from that perspective, I do like that. But, if, you know, figuring out what your partner's is, is a way for you to kind of encourage, hey, you know, if, they're, if their love language is words of affirmation, then being able to say, you know, I could hear you on that call upstairs. You did a really good job, even though I know that you're a little bit afraid of talking in, in public like that or of public speaking. Like, I really loved when you said this. Now, number six, plan a date night, even if you have to force it. It's absolutely a must. I feel like on Instagram, it looks sometimes like other couples that have kids are doing date nights, but the reality is that so many of us that have small kids, especially kids under three or under four and more than one of them, it is very hard to get out on a date night without some sort of a feeling of guilt and guaranteed the entire time that you're on that date, you're going to be looking at photos of the kids or talking about the kids. And it's super hard to not just focus on each other, or I'm sorry, it's super hard to focus on each other because your life especially when you have children, just revolves around your kids. And the more kids you have, the less time you have for each other. The more kids you have, the more time each individual child needs something from one of you or both of you at different times at the same time. Planning that date night is kind of that forcing function. Even if you're gone for 45 minutes to an hour, you do whatever you feel comfortable with and you find someone who you trust to be able to watch your kids. And then you go and you eat somewhere that can be as casual as Chipotle or as fancy as a steakhouse. And you do something for yourself where you can take time out to be with each other, talk about random things, talk about something that's bothering you, something that makes you happy, your goals, your aspirations. I'm definitely a planner. So sometimes I literally think of things I want to cover beforehand and not in a way that's like annoying, hopefully, but more of like, hey, I've been meaning to bring this up and we have had no time to talk about it. Like whether it's about a vacation or it's about something that you were looking into for a kid. Those are good times to have some of those conversations because frankly, a lot of times when you go to bed at night, or at least for me, sometimes I don't even want to have those conversations before I go to bed or when I finally have a moment to unwind because I'm using that moment to unwind to just decompress, whether that's reading, aimlessly scrolling on Instagram, you know, cooking, having a glass of wine while I watch Dead to Me on Netflix or whatever. 
sometimes I don't want to get into those conversations and it's nice to be able to do it when you feel like, okay, I, I haven't, you know, I'm not super exhausted right now. Or even if you are, you kind of have some energy from being out of the house. So definitely plan the date nights. Even if it's just once a month, it's an important time to reconnect. And ultimately you're still married to each other, even though you have kids, like you should still make each other a priority. And if you don't feel that way, then you need to talk about how to incorporate that again, because work and good relationships and this has to go with number three being comfortable with being bored good relationships are are boring they're they're based on the most simple things in life waking up having coffee together having your breakfast going about your work day enjoying a cup of tea or something at night or wine and just being able to unwind and like the day-to-day isn't always exciting the day-to-day isn't always sexy and it's not always instagram worthy Number seven, this is not suitable for work. Have sex, give your partner head, use toys, do whatever you have to do. But sex is still a priority. Or if it's not, then it should be. I think that sometimes it's like, I'm too fucking tired. I'm too fucking tired. But then when you actually do it, you're like, oh yeah, why did I wait so long for this? This is great. And I think sometimes it's really easy to let this be the thing that slips away because it's just easy. You're tired. No, thanks. Like, you know, there are so many reasons why this is sometimes I think in relationships, it can feel like this is not a priority or it's just not happening. But I mean, do something exciting. Like I talked about it in another episode, straddle them on the sofa, give them head, touch, you know, do whatever you have to do. But sometimes like buy a cute little sexy thong or sexy piece of lingerie and just take it off over your, you know, surprise them out of the granny panties one day. It, it might be a surprise, but honestly, like put in some fucking effort and ask them to do the same. This is a two way street. Like, you know, I think that this is absolutely a priority still. Number eight, create a calm and peaceful bedroom environment. I don't care what a fucking man says. If you have a bedroom that feels like fucking chaos and it's cluttered, there's shit everywhere, it doesn't feel peaceful, it's gonna affect your energy and your mood before you go to bed. I hate going to sleep when our room is a fucking mess. And also I don't like getting into bed at night when my bed isn't made, even though sometimes my husband works in bed during the day and not in our office. So sometimes he just never makes the bed. I don't know if he's ever actually made the bed, but I love getting into a bed at night that I feel like hasn't just been a hot mess all day. I like the act of taking off all of the pillows because yes, I put a lot of pillows on the bed, but I like the way that it looks. I like the idea of getting into a cozy space. I like my hash sound machine. I have a very hard time sleeping in dead quiet. That is just not something that encourages comfort for me. That makes me feel anxious and it makes my brain wander nonstop. I like to have a candle on or do a room spray, which I have both in our bedroom. If we have to throw everything in the closet so that we don't have to necessarily see it, that makes me feel peaceful. I definitely don't feel peace in a cluttered environment, even though our house is frequently cluttered. And I guarantee you, your partner will have things that they value about a bedroom that if they haven't told you, you probably get in fights about, or they probably do all the time. 
maybe they like multiple covers in a sheet. I personally fucking hate having an extra sheet on the bed. I hate that it'll get kicked to the bottom of the bed. It'll all crump up there and then it'll start falling off on one corner and then under the comforter, it'll move all around. I hate it so much that I do not put an extra sheet on the bed. We have the one that goes over the mattress and like our mattress pad. And then we have a comforter. I do not have an extra sheet. I do not like an extra sheet. And if I'm at a hotel, I will literally kick it off to the bottom of the bed or take it off completely. I hate when my feet feel like they're constricted. That does not create peace for me. And that does not create peace for my partner. So we do not have that extra sheet. Finding things that are like little nuances like that, pardon me, that make your sleeping arrangement feel more comfortable for you and for your partner is something that is absolutely worth identifying. You wanna go to bed in an environment that feels cozy, that makes you feel happy and peaceful, that you're excited to go to. Honestly, the worst situation for me was when I lived in San Francisco in this apartment and the person below me was like a night owl or a crackhead or something. It was honestly very difficult to tell. And they would wait until like 11 p.m. and suddenly there would be bass until like 5 a.m. in the morning and it would not stop. I got, I could feel my my bed vibrating through the wood floor. I actually left the apartment in the middle of the night, went to the basement apartment, banged on the door outside. And mind you, they had like bars on the windows. I had no idea who lived here. No one in the apartment who had lived there for years before me, before I moved in, knew who lived there. I was banging on the apartment, literally yelling for them to shut up. I would take a broom to the floor. That is like the worst sleeping scenario ever that you could be in because it's not comfortable. It's you don't want to go into a you don't want to go into your bedroom at night and feel stress or anxiety. Number 9. Communicate. I am very guilty of when I feel uncomfortable or like I'm not being heard, I will kind of hermit away and hide. And I used to fight about anything that bothered me and now I've learned to pick my battles because honestly half of it is because I'm tired but the other half is like is this worth it this is when you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons like pick your battles as something that literally comes with marriage there's some things that I will beat like a dead horse like I you don't understand this point of view yada yada but at least I'm getting it out and you need to also understand what your partner's communication styles are that's super important. And this might even be something that you think that you know based on how long you've been together. But then when certain situations arise, you might be like, I am shocked that you handled that scenario that way. Why did we not just do this? So this is something like figuring out those communication styles in a neutral environment is probably a good way to actually have that conversation instead of when you're in the middle of conflict, because there is nothing worse when you're in the middle of than when you're in the middle of some sort of a conflict and your partner is trying to say like, relax, relax, you need to relax then to get slapped in the face by your fucking wife. So don't do that. Number 10, say I love you still and truly mean it. Sometimes it's like it becomes just this phrase that you say that holds no meaning at all, but we still say I love you every time we hang up the phone. And when we don't, it's like if we're in a super big hurry or we're with a bunch of like, you know, I'm with, I don't know, he's with one of his coaches or something. Like I always know the environment, but for the most part, like we have always said, I love you before we hang up the phone because you just don't know and things are not guaranteed. And that's just something that makes us feel more comfortable. Like no matter what's going on, we'll say it even if we're fighting. So that is part of the communication, but it's also just part of no matter what's going on, 
it should be something that you think about and that you think about saying and not something that's an afterthought. But also if saying it that much for you starts to lose the meaning, then do what's best for you and do what makes you feel the, the best. But I want our kids to grow up in an environment where they hear I love you consistently. I tell my kids I love you 100 million times a day. I literally will say to my daughter, I love you, Kinsley. And she'll say, I love you so much, mommy. And I'm not forcing her to say that. She doesn't have to say it back, but she is being able to express her love and her feelings. And she says it to her brother. She says it to her dad. It makes me so happy. And I want them to grow up in an environment where they know that it's okay to talk about their love for one another and not have to feel like it's a special occasion that you say, I love you, but that you can say it at any time when you're really happy and that when you feel like you want to express that. Number 11, do small things that mean a lot for the other person. Acts of service and gift giving for me are like two things. Those are two... I don't necessarily identify with only one love language, but I'm a Gemini, so I think I can have two. I think it's super special to be able to do something that makes your partner feel happy. Even if it's, hey, I asked if you wanted something for Starbucks, like my husband doesn't drink coffee, but I'm gonna get him a little something that's obviously not coffee anyways, just because I'm here, I was thinking about him and I thought he might like it. The best case scenario is when they say, no, I don't want something and you bring it and they're like, oh, thanks. You know what? I was thinking about after I said no, and I actually did want something. Even if it's, it doesn't have to be food or like a drink, but it can be something as simple as, I know you really like these snacks and I wasn't going to buy them because I'm trying to be good, but I bought them for you. Just like, don't hide, you know, don't, don't give them to me. Or it can be something as like, I saw that, you know, I heard you talking about you have no more socks. You can't find them anywhere. So you order some and have them, you know, deliver to the house or you go and pick some up somewhere and give them to them at dinner. And like, hey, I heard you were talking about this. You know, I was able to run out today, so I just grabbed you some. Those little things I remember meant so much to me in the beginning of the relationship. And it still does because it's just another way of showing like gift giving again speaks to me. I love giving other people gifts. I think it. I think that gift giving is a very easy way to show that you clearly were thinking about that person and had some intention behind whatever it was you were purchasing. So I think that that, those little small things, again, it can be like a flower, like, hey, I was at the store and I bought you flowers, or I poured you a glass of wine because I know you've had a day and then I thought this would make you happy. Or like, I picked up your favorite bottle of Chardonnay. That's a surefire way to make me happy. Number 12, this kind of is the same, I guess, but surprise them occasionally. Like I think those little surprises go a long way. Even if it's something super silly, like I put toothpaste on your toothbrush tonight, or I recorded this one game that I thought that you would like. What? You recorded a game for me, but you hate when I watch the games. Like those sorts of things. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but it just can be something that again, like I think the purpose of these two is just really to show that there's some intention behind what you're doing as it is related to your partner. Number 13, try your best to remove judgment. And what I mean by this is that there are likely going to be many situations where your partner may respond to things and it has you going like, what the fuck? Or like, why why would you do that? Like, what are you thinking? And they probably think the exact same thing about you. In fact, I know that this happens to my husband all the time. And 
Or like, why, why did you not just do this? Why are you doing that right now? Like some of those questions that just basically come with when you're with someone all the fucking time. And so those little things start to bother you, especially with COVID that can absolutely happen. It probably has happened in your relationship. So what I, my goal of try to remove judgment is that it's really hard to not be judgmental on the people that we are closest to, especially when we're around them all the time, where we are very much aware of the flaws that they have and the nuances in their personality and just eccentricities that annoy you. So I also think it's important to remember that, and I'll talk about this in another podcast episode at some point, but most of us are doing our absolute best. That might not always look like our best on certain days based on whatever may be happening that day or in our lives, but most of us are doing our damnedest to be the best that we can be in whatever scenario we're faced with that day, in our meetings, to our kids, at night for dinner. Like those are just, it's important to remember that you're not the only one who's going through something in this relationship, but if you're not talking about it and communicating, it's gonna be really hard to not judge the other person or have some sort of like resentment about, well, you get to go and do this. Like, or why did you not do this? Shouldn't you have just done this? So trying to remove judgment on some of those decisions and really just come into things like with the most neutral mindset is probably the best way to go about a lot of those relationship quirks. Number 14, <clears throat> I'm laughing because I feel like I try to do this, but don't try to force your routines on someone who you know is not going to do them because you will consistently be disappointed. I like to do things certain ways. Like I'll like to work out and I like, usually I'm working out either super late at night, super early in the morning or in between calls when I finally get a chance to do something for myself and I have childcare that day or my kids are napping. That does not always work for my husband. And he has told me time and time again, like, oh yeah, I'm going to train you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this with you. And then it never ends up happening and it frequently disappoints me. And that's not because he doesn't care. It's just because our routines just literally don't align because we're both doing the best that we can to stay afloat. And I think that that's important is like, I cannot force my routine on someone else. I can only be in charge of my own routine, even though things can obviously still annoy you about other, you know, their routines or their lack of routine, but trying to force your routine on someone else or things that you love on someone else, is just not going to work. And then you will never be happy. I told my sister something a long time ago about friendships is it's like, and this is a similar thing. You can be one type of friend, but you, and like this, the values that you uphold and what really matter to you and how you show up for your friends might be one way, but what you get back from someone else may be so different from what you're giving out that you're going to be disappointed. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad friend or a bad partner. It just means that they may not be able to give what you're expecting them to give. And that does not mean that they care about you any less. But I think this goes, this ties into the don't force your routines on them because you can't force your partner to love everything that you love and they don't have to. You need to be strong-willed enough and determined enough on your own to say, this matters to me, I'm gonna go upstairs and meditate. Are you okay if I'm gone for 10 minutes? Are you okay if I go and do this for something? I usually ask like, is it okay if I go and do this? Because I don't wanna feel guilt associated with me taking some time for myself if I need to or if I feel like I want to because I finally have, the kids are finally down or 
usually I'll ask like, hey, are you okay if I go up and do this real quick um, when there's at least one kid with my husband? But your routines are your responsibility is the ultimate point of this one. And lastly, take your space when you need it. I think especially in this COVID environment, there's like this, there's an, I don't want to say it's a codependency because it's not, but it's like, you're basically, especially when everyone is sick in your household or something, you can't really go anywhere. You can't really do anything. Like COVID brought up all of these scenarios where you're just really stuck in the house with your people. And some places are bigger than others. And some spaces are smaller than others. And Sometimes even in the largest of spaces, it can feel like you have no space. And one of the most important things I think in your relationship is like, sometimes the absence makes your heart grow fonder, even if you're literally in the same house. But if you need some time to yourself to decompress where you don't want to be around your partner, that does not mean that you don't love your partner. It just means that you want some time for yourself. This can be a bath. It can be sitting in a separate room by yourself to read. It can be sitting in a separate room by yourself to do something on your computer. Ultimately, just be aware of those moments when you feel like you're being crowded and not because they're doing anything wrong, but just... There might be a moment where you just feel like I just want my energy to expand here by myself and I don't want to feel anything bounced off from anyone else. I don't want anything that I'm feeling to be reflected back on me because I just need to let it out. And that is okay. So take your space whenever you need it and know that it it doesn't mean you're a bad partner. Taking space sometimes can be one of the most amazing ways to value yourself and bring your best self forward in your relationship. I'm sure there are some others that I forgot, but those are at least 15 things, 15 tips from me after 15 years with my partner, my hubby, that I think are really important to keep in mind. Mind you, I'm not good at all of these. I am consistently a work in progress as I think every single one of us is, but that's okay because the first step to getting better at anything, especially like this makes me think of eating disorder stuff. The first step to trying to get better is actually being aware and taking an inventory of your behaviors, your personality styles, and your traits that you might want to adjust or change or improve. And that's the same thing that happens in relationships. The best way to improve your relationship is sometimes to take a look at it. And that means taking a look at yourself. So whether you're just starting a relationship or you've been in a long ass relationship like me, or you're newly married, or you're newly dating or newly engaged, I hope that some of these resonate with you. And if not, then hallelujah to you because sounds like you're still in the honeymoon phase. Either way, thank you so, so much for tuning in to another episode of Kylie Says. Until next time. 